All right. Good morning. Uh, go ahead and take your Bible to turn to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read a few verses there this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we're so glad to have you. Um, welcome. We hope you feel welcome. Um, just so you know, typically what we do is we'll have a kids class downstairs for grade school. Um, but every fifth Sunday, we all have family focus worship um, where we're all together. And that's what's going on this morning. Um, and we're going through a study in the book of Genesis, and uh, Genesis can be weird every once in a while, so uh, we'll get to that later. Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? title of our message this morning is, How Shall I Know, or How Will I Know? Um, a few years back, uh, we purchased a house, and we were trying to just get some small projects done, some painting, some flooring-type things. You know how it is when you're switching houses. And um, I, had, I knew someone who was looking to do some small jobs to earn some extra cash, and so we, uh, we talked, and I had like three different small jobs lined up that he was going to help me with. Um, And I went ahead and prepaid him, uh, paid him up front. And that's where I made my mistake, right? Um, Some professions have gotten a stereotype for being like dishonest professions, people you can't trust, Um, mechanics, Car salesman, televangelists, lawyers. <laughs> Nobody likes being taken advantage of. Nobody. And so what happens is uh, we learn to be skeptical of everyone, everything, everybody. But unfortunately, that skepticism carries over to our view of God. And for some, that becomes a hardened unbelief that lasts a lifetime. For others, uh, it can create doubts that irritate their walk with with him and fellowship with, with God. In chapter 12, God made these dynamic, grandiose promises to Abram. 
And in chapters 13 and 14, Pastor Jared was in last week, we started to see how God was uh, bringing some of those blessings to, to pass. In fact, God is blessing Abram materially. But God hasn't provided the son or the offspring that he also promised yet. And so here in our passage this morning, Abram is going to ask two questions. He's going to ask, what will you give me? And how am I to know? Do you ever find yourself wanting more evidence from God? Either about his nature, his character, his promises, or maybe even his very existence. We can believe God. That's the big idea this morning. We can believe God. Um, There are two truths that are interwoven in this text this morning. The first one is we can believe God because he has been faithful to others. He has been faithful to others. If the Bible is God's resume of faithfulness, and by the way, his record, it's impeccable. Abram, that we're going to be looking at this morning, we will learn this truth, but Abram is just one example of God's faithfulness. And we learn as we go through Scripture and as we go through Abram's life that God's, God has extraordinary plans. And those extraordinary plans go beyond the timetables even of our own lifetime. But not all of us have made peace with that. At some point, we have to come to terms with that, that God's promises, God's goodness, God's plan, God's program goes beyond just me and just beyond just you and Hope Valley Church. And, but God's got extraordinary, extraordinary plans. So we can believe God because he's been faithful to others. That's the first theme interwoven in this text. The second theme is because he gives tokens of assurance. He gives tokens of assurance. Now, a token is something that takes the place of something else. You go to the bowling alley or arcade. Um, Actually, I don't know if they have tokens anymore. I think it's cards that you swipe. But back in my day, it was you went to an arcade, you got tokens. And you put the tokens in the, the game and play it and try to win some tickets. So a token is something that takes the place of something. Or it represents something, or it is evidence of something. So there's a game token that represents money, but then there is a token that is evidence of something, like you've heard the expression, here, take this flower as a token of my love. By the way, Valentine's Day is April 14th, I mean, February 14th. (laughs) Uh, Or you've heard the expression, a token of my appreciation when the hero saves the girl. At the end of the movie, was he gets a kiss as a token of his appreciation. But a token is something that is evidence of something else. It provides proof. And God gave Abram certain tokens of assurance here in this passage this morning. Um, the first one we see is that God gives Abram a visual aid. Okay, Verse 1, he says, after these things, that is, after... Abram had gone out and fought this battle and saved his nephew Lot. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
And he said, fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Some translations say, and your reward. What a statement to come to you from the creator of the universe. Fear not, I am your shield. I am your reward. Verse 2, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So God has already been trickling blessings upon, uh, upon Abram. But Abram realizes that one of the core tenets of the promises God has made is offspring. How is he going to become a great nation without a son, without offspring? And so Abram raises that point up. And he says in verse 3, And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And a, someone that's adopted to, to, um, to take the inheritance. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. So here's this visual aid that God gives Abram. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Now, you and I, depending upon where you live, you might actually be able to go outside at an, on a night and uh, be able to count the stars, depending upon how much light is surrounding you. But if you've ever been somewhere where it is true, where you've seen the true starry sky where there's no light pollution or anything, it is incredible. I think probably the first time I got to see the sky at night without this was in Montana, out in big sky country, and it is just, you're, you're in awe of everything that it surrounds you in the night sky. It is incredible. Um, some estimates, and these are just approximations, but some scientists estimate that there are a septillion number of stars do you know how much that is? I don't, but it sounds like a whole lot. Um, septillion, if that's even a real number. So God says, Abram, look at the night sky. Abram looks at the night sky, and this is supposed to be impressive, and it is an awesome scene. And so Abram knows, looking at the sky, that he can trust God. The point in the text is not about calculating the stars and actually counting them. The point is the immensity of the starry sky. A God that is able to do that, Abram knows and understands now, a God that's able to do that can give me a son through Sarah, Sarai. So God, it says in verse 6, Abram believed God. This is a passage that's recorded or quoted several times in the New Testament, referred to. Um, God credits Abram's faith for righteousness. By the way, you bring up that graphic. Salvation has always been by faith. Whether it's after the cross or whether it's before the cross, no one has ever come to God through works. It has always been salvation by grace through faith. 
Now, there have been different ages throughout history where God has revealed more and more revelation. And so before the cross, here for Abraham, Abraham had certain revelation from God that, that he was good, that he would make these promises. And Abraham, Abraham believed what he had from God. What revelation Abram had about the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't know. And so in the Old Testament, it wasn't essential for someone to have information or revelation about Jesus to be saved. They didn't know about the cross yet, but they believed God. And that belief in God, God knew what would happen. Romans talks about how those those sins before uh, the cross were deferred until the cross. And so God... When they put their belief in God, God knew Jesus was going to be paying for those sins one day, and he counted that for righteousness. Now, after the cross, today, we don't look forward. We look back. Today, it is essential to know about Christ. Nobody is coming to Christ just with a generic belief that a God exists. They have to know about Jesus And that's why we have people in this very room that are going to smaller tribes and locations to tell people about Jesus because looking at the starry sky is not enough. But God in His graciousness, apparently when they believe in that general revelation, He sends them special revelation. But salvation has always been by faith. Always. Okay? So God gives this token of a visual aid. Secondly, He gives this token of a covenant. Verse 7 And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. Now it's going to get a little bit graphic cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So what is this is a little odd to us, but what is going on here is that the stage is set for God to formalize a covenant with Abram. God's already made these promises in chapter 12, but we don't really have that covenant language In fact, that term isn't even used in chapter 12, but we get to chapter 15, and we are going to see that God is going to formalize a covenant with Abram, what we call the Abrahamic covenant. Now, this is weird to us. A bunch of animals, you cut in half. Um, But in that, uh, that culture with a livestock society, there is going to be major symbolism involved. And so this would be very significant to them with these animals that they see daily. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. All right, skip down to verse 17. For time's sake, we're going to skip this morning, but hopefully come back to this in our hope communities this week. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass between these pieces. So God makes Abram go comatose and um, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch pass through this little path between these animals. And it says in verse 
18, on that day the Lord made a covenant or cut a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So the smoke and fire pass through these animals that have been cut, right? And it's important for us to know in the context of the Pentateuch and in Genesis and Exodus that fire, smoke especially combined, that this is the kind of imagery that is associated with God's presence. And so this is actually God's presence that is walking through these cut pieces of animals. Again, kind of weird to us who are used to going to a lawyer's office or a courthouse for uh, some kind of lawful agreement. But this is more than just an agreement between men. This is an agreement between Almighty God and a man. So what is happening here, even though it's odd to us, God, what he is doing is he is going on record and putting his name, his reputation on the line, on these promises. This is how serious I am about this. Now, God doesn't have to make a covenant because his yes is yes and his no is no, right? But God is going on the record till today. We still have this record to prove the faithfulness of God. So it's like God is putting skin in the game. One, uh, one scholar, he says of, of this, uh, this picture here, this event, he says, a number of animals were cut in half, and the person or persons who passed through the halves were in effect saying, may I be killed and cut in half like these animals if I dare break my promises. Strikingly, it is only God who goes through the parts calling the self-curse on his own head, so to speak. God passes through the parts in the form of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. In effect, God is saying that if he breaks this promise, he may be killed like these animals. Of course, it is absurd to say that God could die, but it is equally absurd to say God could break his promise. So that's what's going on here. God is putting his own reputation on the line by giving this imagery and this promise of a covenant. A covenant is more than just a contract. Um, There is a uh, hard consequence involved when two people would make a covenant like this and one would break it. You can see Jeremiah 34 as an example that we might look at in our hope communities again. But here we are, the Abrahamic covenant. God making this unconditional covenant. And here in chapter 15, the emphasis is on the land, even though, God, even though Abram asks him about the offspring. God is putting the emphasis on the land. And by the way, this is more than just a land grant. This land is being set apart for a special purpose. It is being sanctified for the special manifestation of God in the world. Some... Some scholars believe that this, this land is the same territory, the same, uh, same region where the Garden of Eden even sat, where God's presence did physically come down. But how do we know that this is set aside for God's 
purposes, God's manifestation. Well, just one verse, Jeremiah 16, 18, when, when Jeremiah is bringing these legal accusations against Israel and Judah for forsaking God, it says in sixteen eighteen. but first I will doubly repay, repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land with the carcasses of their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. So this land is a big deal, and it's a, it's a big theme, uh, especially throughout the, old, the rest of the Old Testament. But this Abrahamic covenant, what, what are we talking about? What, are the, uh, what is the nature of this covenant? Well, first of all, it's unilateral. By that, I mean it, it's a one-direction covenant, the one that's making the promise. It's only God that goes through these cut pieces. Usually, for if there were two people that were coming to an agreement on something, they would both walk through. And they say, whoever, uh, whoever breaks this covenant, they'd be killed, cut in half, just like these, these animals. But no, only God is the one that walks through. This is unilateral. God is the only one walking through. And because the emphasis here is this is about God's trustworthiness, God's purposes, God's faithfulness. So this is a unilateral covenant, but it's an unprecedented covenant. In the ancient Near East, it, it has not yet been found any other example of a deity making a covenant with mankind other than what we have here in Genesis 15, 17, and so on. It's unprecedented. Third, it's everlasting. There's a lot of debate amongst theologians, preachers, whatever, of whether or not everlasting should be taken literally here. Uh, If we took an expanded look at Scripture, it gives insight into the the nature and duration of this covenant. Genesis 13, 15, that we talked about last week. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Genesis 17, 7 through 8. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Amos 9. Um, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Micah chapter 4, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who are cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. First Chronicles 16, the significance, especially in this First Chronicles passage, is here you have an example of the post-exile, post-exile Israel, of those priests who are likely the ones that write Chronicles, maybe Ezra even, But you have an example where they still see, despite all this happening, despite a lot of Israel coming back to the land, they still expect this to be an ongoing promise. 1 Chronicles 16, 15 through 18, Remember this covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. So it's an everlasting covenant. Fourthly, it's a foundational 
covenant. It's really important to understand the Abrahamic covenant. It's important for understanding the rest of Scripture because the rest of the covenants that we're going to see in Scripture build off of this covenant. Um, It is the basis for the other Old Testament covenants. The Mosaic covenant, which was a conditional covenant, which is given at Mount Sinai that Israel and the elders willingly go into agreement with with God. This is for national Israel. The Mosaic covenant is not something that is for the church. It's not for us today. It was for Israel. But it is building on that Abrahamic covenant. The Davidic covenant, which promises a man that would reign on David's throne, builds on this. The new covenant, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that talk about this change of heart that Israel is going to have. It builds on this Abrahamic covenant. Now, the church, we today, we do not currently fulfill these covenants. Um, However, we are currently blessed and benefit from several of them greatly, in particular, the Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. We benefit from those things uh, in fantastic ways. But these, Abraham as a foundational covenant, will find its full fulfillment by Christ in a real, material, future, millennial kingdom. And these promises will be fulfilled. New Davidic. These promises will be fulfilled in the land. So, God didn't give Abe and his descendants a lease on the land. He gave them as a gift, as their inheritance. So God gives this covenant as another token of his faithfulness, that he is trustworthy, he can be believed. Thirdly, skip, jump over to chapter 17. We're going to go back to chapter 16 next week and continue the, the narrative. But we're talking about the covenant this morning. Chapter 17, God gives Abram a name change. Um, Chapter 15 is about the land. Chapter 17, this is going to be at least 13 years later after chapter 15, uh, is going to be about the descendants. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. God Almighty here is a good translation. It's El Shaddai. El Shaddai um, is, I think, translated in most translations as God Almighty or Lord Almighty. Um, But it also has this, contains this idea of the one who causes. You know, you have cause and you have effects. God Almighty is the one who causes, including, is going to cause the blessings for Abram and cause these blessings to materialize. So he says, walk before me and be blameless. Your translation might might say be perfect. It's not the idea of moral perfection or complete moral purity. The idea is be wholehearted. Wholehearted walk before me. That, verse 2, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. What has happened in chapter 16 that we'll talk more about next week is gives us, makes this even more meaningful. 
Because in chapter 16, Abram's going to make a dumb mistake. He's going to fail. But here in chapter 17, we have a reaffirmation of the covenant even after Abram's failure. Verse 3, Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Not just, by the way, not just kings from Israel, but it would be other kings as well. So he changes his name from Abram. Abram means exalted father. Imagine if you were Abram and you would, you know, the mer- traveling merchants would come by or you go to a well or you're shooting the breeze with some stranger that you've never met. And they have, what's your name? Oh, my name is Abram, exalted father. Oh, cool. I'd love to meet your, your kids, your sons someday. Well, I don't have any sons. Wait, your name is Abram. Why don't you have any sons? In chapter 17, by this time, he does have a son, but it's not the promised son yet. And so God says, you're going to be more than a father. You're going to be father of a multitude. Changes his name from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, which is father of a multitude. So still, here at this point, imagine you're Abram. You're talking with these people. You've got your new name. And they say, what's your name? Abraham, father of a multitude. And they ask Oh, so you must have a ton, ton of kids. We'd love to meet them. Well, I have one son. His name is Father of a Multitude. This is to reemphasize for Abraham and those around him that God was going to be faithful. God's not backing down on this promise. God is not going to plan B after Abraham and, and Sarah made the decision that they made with, with Hagar in chapter 16. God's still going with plan A. And he's reminding Abraham of that. Ishmael is not the promised son. So either one of these names that he had at the time would have raised eyebrows and would have been uh, emphasizing God's, God's promises. Um, all right. Fourthly, after the name change, we're in verse 9. God gives circumcision. You're a guest here this day, and you did not know you were here for Circumcision Sunday. Um, This is Genesis, folks. We could have done Family Focus next week, but you'll see why that wouldn't have been great either, or the week after. This is Genesis. So, verse 9 says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, He's going to give him an additional sign, reemphasizing his faithfulness. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner, uh, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Um, 
So this circumcision was known in parts of the ancient Near East. Um, It was not unique or the first time it's given to a people, but it is given as a sign for Abraham and his, uh, his offspring. And so what this would entail is cutting off a piece of skin from a baby boy's reproductive part, and it was a sign. Now, circumcision would remind people of the permanence of God's covenant to each new generation. Every time someone had a baby boy, this ritual itself was a reminder. On day eight, you would go to the, whoever was the, the doctor, the tribe doctor, and there would, this, whole, um, this whole event would be a reminder to all of the people of God's promises. The blood and the scars would be a perpetual reminder of God's love and God's promises. All right? We get to, we come down to verses 15 through 21. And what is happening here, just to summarize it real quick, is that God is saying, yes, you've had Ishmael through this plan that you and Sarah schemed up, but that's not the promised child. You're going to have a son. And in fact, we're gonna, I'm going to change Sarai's name. We're not exactly positive what Sarai originally meant. Uh, it may have been close to Sarah, which means princess, which is the emphasizing the a royal, a royal aspect of kings are going to come from from Abraham and Sarah. Um, but changing her name to Sarah may have just been re-emphasizing princess, even though she's about ninety years old at this point. And what does Abraham do in response? He laughs. And so, down here, God says, oh yeah, by the way, your first son, we're going to call him Laughter. So you can always remember my trustworthiness. That's what Isaac means. He laughs or laughter. And so the rest of chapter 17, what you have here is circumcision being carried out, them being faithful, and there's a bunch of bunch of men in Abram's tribe, at least 318 that could take the sword, went out and helped save Lot in chapter uh, 14. So these tokens of God's faithfulness, we can believe God because he has been faithful to others. God's plan may develop slowly, like in the life of Abram, where he and Sarah got impatient. It wasn't really too many years ago. We didn't have digital cameras. And so what would you, when I was smaller, what we would do is we would have these cameras that had film, and you would have to take them to the pharmacy or Walmart um, to get them developed over several days. But if you were really rich, you could get them to develop, develop it in an hour, right? Um, but it took time for this film to develop. God's plans may take time to develop. Because God is not limited by what we see. He knows everything. And the appropriate response to God's promises are fear not and believe. Faith rests in the faithfulness of God. It's not original with me, but that's really good. Faith 
rests in the faithfulness of God. And again, we have his resume. Secondly, we can believe God because he gives tokens of assurance. So God gave this visual of the starry sky. He gave the formal formalizing of the covenant. These unmistakable reminders in the name changes. And then the ritual of circumcision. God gave Abram tokens of assurance. And you know what? God gives us tokens of assurance still today. I just thought real quickly on this. What are some tokens of assurance that God gives us today? Well, he gives us his presence through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul's writing, and it says, It is the God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Some translations translate that as a down payment. It's this token, this thing beforehand. Remember uh, the commercials, again, when I was younger, uh, I would watch these commercials on TV, people opening their door and being shocked and happy seeing all the balloons and confetti when Ed McMahon was there at their doorstep with a giant check. Publisher's Clearinghouse, is that what that was called? That doesn't really matter. But this check was not the money itself. It was a token of what it represented, the actual money, the little bit that they got to keep after taxes. Um, But the Holy Spirit is, I don't want this to sound, it's more than just a spiritual thing because, uh, or a light thing, because the Holy Spirit is substantive, but the Holy Spirit is a guarantor of our further inheritance that is still to come. As great and awesome as the Holy Spirit producing fruit in our lives, sealing us, filling us, as great and awesome as that is, it's a guarantee of even more to come. So God gives us a token of the Holy Spirit. Um, What's another token that God gives us that we can believe in? His blessings. His blessing. The life of Abram, yeah, God had made these promises. And I'm not talking about material blessings. God's not promising any of us material blessings. He's not promising any of us long life. But he is promising us blessing. One of those blessings, of course, is the Holy Spirit. But another tremendous blessing that we have is uh, the friends and family. Listen, you're blessed. And don't be a chump about it. Look around and acknowledge how much you are blessed with the people God has put in your life. Another token we have is communion, the Lord's Supper. Every time we take it, we are considering looking back what Christ did on the cross through his work, his death, burial, and resurrection. And we are celebrating that in his resurrection. But you know what else we're celebrating? We're also looking forward to the day that he returns. It's this token that is put, that we observe, that reminds us that there is more to come. Fourthly, touch on this a little bit, the body of Christ is another token. Um, God God has left a historical trail of changed lives. 
that we can look at throughout church history. And concrete example of his work. But then today, look around you. Not every... Who whistled? Not everyone... Not, unfortunately, we can't assume everyone in here knows the Lord. But many, most people in here this morning are claiming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And God is working in their heart. Like you, we go through very similar things. The pastors go through very similar things that you do. We go through times of doubt where we go to the Lord and say, God, we need, I, need some, I need a token. I need some, some help, Lord. Help me. And God does. God has given us these objective tokens that we can look at of assurance that he is believable. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I mean, that's the ultimate, res- that's the ultimate token, right? So, God will accomplish his extraordinary plans his way on his timetable. That means he will accomplish them in the best way at the best time. We shouldn't be so arrogant to think that we know what the best way and the best time is. So Genesis 15 and 17 and this covenant that God makes with Abraham shows us God is worthy of our belief. God is worthy of our belief. Now, physical circumcision was passed on from generation to generation, um, and it would identify people with Abraham and identify them with God's promise, but it did not secure salvation for individuals. It never did. There had to be faith. In fact, it would be later in the Pentateuch where, uh, where it talks about having a circumcised heart to know the Lord and to experience salvation always takes a circumcision of the heart. That is, it's an invisible spiritual thing that God has to do in us. That we don't, we're not uh, part of the body of Christ. We're not God's children just because Grandma and Grandpa helped plant a church. Or Grandma was baptized three times at the church down the road. Or that Aunt So aunt, or Uncle So-and-so was a preacher or pastor or an evangelist or really great guy. It's a personal thing. Even within receiving the blessings that are available to us through different covenants that we can benefit from. It's always, it's a personal decision. Do you have that relationship with God? And the only way you can have that relationship is coming to him through Jesus Christ. Who, Daniel says, was the one that was cut off for us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You can go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to, the worship team is going to come forward. And we're just going to give this a couple minutes as an opportunity for you to respond to God.
Maybe he is working in your heart in some way. He is showing you something. He's illuminating your heart to some truth about himself, about yourself. And maybe you've wrestled with believing God. He is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. Not only is he trustworthy, he reveals an aspect of his nature, of his love, that he loves you by sending Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ dying in your place. He loves you. You can believe him. You can trust him for your salvation, your eternal salvation. If you've not done that, we urge you, we plead with you, enter a relationship with God today. It's a matter of communicating with him, what we call prayer. Acknowledging, admitting that you are a sinner and you have no hope without his intercession in your life. But then after acknowledging that, believing that Christ is the Savior, that he has provided for you, believing that he is God's son, that he died on the cross for you and he rose again, worship team is going to start I'm down here if you need someone to pray with you you've got something going on this morning that maybe is totally unrelated to even what we've been talking about and you just need someone to pray with you come forward this morning we'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you if you want to talk more with someone about your soul your personal salvation you've still got questions we would love love the opportunity to talk with you But we don't want to trap you in some corner and manipulate you to make some kind of decision because it's a decision that you have to make. It's between you and God.